Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 12, issue 562. And remarkably, for the first time ever on the Cane and Rinse podcast, after more than 11 years, we're going to talk about a game based on Star Wars, specifically the 1983 arcade machine, which was just called Star Wars. Nice and simple. Anyway, joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Chris Worthington. Use the force, Leon. Tony Atkins. May the force be with you. And welcome Dean Swain from Retro Asylum. Use the fork, Luke. Sorry, my watch is still pinging away, although I've got it on silent. Do apologise. It sounded like R2, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So, Star Wars, as it was called and shall be referred to throughout this show, for simplicity's sake, uh, is, if you've never seen it or played it, it is possible, Mm. but it is a first-person on-rails arcade shoot-em-up based upon... A popular motion picture, which was released in 1977. The game came out six years after that. Interestingly, it was marketed by Atari as the coin video experience, because <laughs> it's kind of the <laughs> language was kind of different back then. Uh, but yeah, it didn't. Even though we were already on the, uh, this came out around the same time as Return of the Jedi to cinemas. And so we already knew that episodes four, five and six had their own titles. We weren't quite in the land of, people referring to Star Wars 1977 as Episode 4 or A New Hope. So this yeah. game was simply called Star Wars. Um, and I think it probably probably benefited it in many ways. Yeah. So, Dean, joining yes. us uh, on the main Cane and Rinse podcast for the first time, what's your history with this arcade machine? If, if it's anything like mine, it's you remember seeing it as a youngster glowing away in the corners of arcade. Absolutely. Um, it wasn't actually... In an arcade, is that they had it at York Hall Swimming Baths in Bethnal Green? Oh, oh, Love a swimming bath, yeah. Point. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, this was uh, like a Sunday morning treat, but the thing was, it was the sit down version and it was up a flight of stairs. And I, I just couldn't work out how the hell they got it up there in the <laughs> first place. Oh, that's a good point with a crane, a large elevator, possibly. <laughs> I, I just thought whoever brought it up here probably broke their back, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll. What was I in? By the time I played this, I was probably Christ eight or nine years old, and I just I was lost inside that cockpit. You know, it was mm. it was it felt huge at the time. The only other yeah. cockpit game I'd played was uh, Monaco Grand Prix by Sega. Yeah, and it, it felt very similar to that sitting into it but it was just a, a totally different experience i think it's probably the first vector game i'd played properly i, I do remember mm. seeing um oh battle zone no battle zone yeah yeah, yeah. battle zone but i couldn't i was wasn't tall enough it was the uh stand-up <laughs> version of that you yeah i remember the, that the you had to, yeah you had to put your eyes up to so with this i was totally immersed i was rubbish at it I remember, so I used to go swimming with one of my cousins quite often. He'd play it and get right the way through the game where I, I would struggle. But it was just magical. Uh, probably one of the first games I remember with a bit of speech as well. Mm. Chris, how about yourself? You're a, you're a tad younger, aren't you? So I don't know what your kind of what your history with the the IP Star Wars is. Even I'm a very young man. I'm, I'm, and I'm a lot younger than Dean Swain, so uh, yeah. just just to, just Let to get just to get that in. Most people are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, 
it's not going to be the first time I say this over the next couple of hours, but actually thinking back to the arcade game makes me sad because I have never played the coin-op. Really? Yeah. Never. Ever. Wow. I don't know. I've said this before on Retro Asylum, and I seem to say that on every single episode of Kenan Ken Rins, but I have said this many times that I, I wasn't a huge... I didn't... We didn't do a lot of coastal holidays when I was a kid. Mm. We tended to go inland from Liverpool. So whereas a lot of people yeah. my age went to the North Wales coast and you know, places like Rill and whatnot. Rill, yes. Rill, yeah. Rill's a classic. We yeah. we never did. We went the other way. We used to go to the Lake District a lot and and, yeah. and and whatnot. So not known for its arcade scene. Not really. I mean, I'm sure there was plenty, but I, I didn't. What I played in the arcades was limited to the local chippy, to be honest. And and they never have had an, a a Star Wars cab. And and no. so I'm sure I've seen this out in the wild. I'm sure I have, but I I honestly don't remember it. And I was at arcade club last year. Yeah. Apparently they have one. Yeah, they do, don't, yes. Don't I played it myself. Do they have a sit down? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, how did I miss that? <laughs> I know. It's not no small. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. So, it's got um, Star Wars written in big letters on the side. And the <laughs> yeah, next you know the one. Yeah, yeah, big thing. Can't miss it sitting there in the middle of the floor. Um, so it, 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 I actually feel quite sad because we're going to talk about how yeah. difficult it is to replicate playing yeah. it at home. But uh, sadly, never played the cab. Which I think is possibly true for you as well, Tony. It is true, yeah. Um, so I felt like... like it was everywhere. <clears throat> I was so surprised. You know, I put put the show together based on people's expressions of interest on our big spreadsheet, and I just kind of assumed that anyone who was Amber <laughs> must have, like me, put thousands of pounds into this arcade machine. But no, no, you you were the supplier of the money. No, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so actually, so for me, so what I, although I'm forty, nearly forty three now, um, you know, I would have been relatively young when this would have hit a free yeah so um so yeah it wasn't any kind of new release now i i was a frequent visitor to seaside arcades my dad had a fishing boat down on the coast either in new haven or ramsgate depending oh. depending which way and um, for many years i spent a long time in in the arcades playing many a games but i can't say that i ever came across a star wars cap now whether that's because my t- probably time in the arcades had been kind of late 80s early 90s mm. um and whether by that point it would have been seen as old hat i know that sounds sacrilege but no you've know, you got to think uh, about uh, way yeah. arcades were trying to entice people into new games yeah. weren't they? At time, time moved on very quickly although yeah. i will say that there definitely were star wars machines around long after a lot but of but other always is, right? older <laughs> machines went away because it's star wars yeah. and it was massively popular um but you know i've done my due diligence and and watched some videos of people actually playing that the, both the stand up and the sitting cab uh, and that's been a fun kind of you know i can i can imagine what that is and actually yeah. you know for for the show itself i've played um the arcade version of the game primarily uh, to kind of get that feel but certainly not with a yoke which is really yeah. sad because that looks really fun but i'm sure you'll it tell me more was... about that mm. but um yeah so i i initially certainly on slack i said oh i wasn't sure that i'd ever actually played um the game mm. turns out i did i did play it on the amistrad right. having looked back and seen stuff yeah. but this i i feel like my time with the amistrad is one of the most brilliant and saddest experiences of my life because <laughs> i never upgraded beyond the the green and black green screen. screen the green screen yeah because that's the one it came with and, you know, as a young kid, I wasn't going to spend money on a screen. So I just played everything in a bloody macrocomb colour, which is 
Yeah. You could buy it with a colour monitor because some of, some of the posher kids did. But, I got given um, it with the green screen. Yeah, yeah. And that's so it's weirdly looking back. I played Star Wars in just green and black and yeah. looking in. <laughs> Looking I don't know. The... It kind of works because yeah, of that retro future aesthetic. The Acorn Electron version was only green on black. So, well, yeah. um, we'll get into this. But fair play to you, Liam, because you linked a, an absolutely amazing video that showed us showed me all the versions that have come out, and kind of yeah. it was fascinating seeing yeah. how how the same game was interpreted on so many platforms. Yeah, um, yeah. which doesn't really you know today you don't really see that so much you? no Obviously not quite so many don't. platforms so but yeah so i played just the amistad version back in the day and um played the arcade version via a web mm. browser of all with things with a mouse yeah. well it's <laughs> the way we'll, to do we'll, it yeah it, it, welcome it's to, actually arguably helpful yeah. yeah welcome to what all these years later god yeah i don't specifically remember the first time i ever saw a star wars arcade machine weirdly because there are some games that i absolutely remember seeing and playing for the first time ever um and the exact environment and situation i remember seeing tron for the first time for example that was the first time i'd seen a like a a, a video game of an arcade uh, of a of a movie that was out contemporaneously in the arcade as i went to see the film but obviously this wasn't the case with with star wars and um you know i i started playing the odd game of space invaders and things from the late 70s onwards but this game, as I say, didn't arrive until 1983. Um, and it was just for me, because I don't remember that first time, for me, it was just like a fixture. I've said many times before, I was very lucky as a video game kid, although it possibly influenced why I am such a, a video game enthusiast, although obviously not everyone from Brighton is, but I was absolutely surrounded with arcades. That, In your uh, element. We had, in my element, indeed, we have yeah. most of the big games. Um, Star Wars was a fixture in several arcades in Brighton. So it felt to me like it was ubiquitous and everyone knew it and everyone played it. And various friends I had knew it and played it. And um, I mean, having, and, having been down to the arcades in Brighton as well, I, I feel like Brighton has that huge footfall of a lot of traffic where my arcade was yeah, like on the top of, top of New Haven Pier with like yes. probably... <laughs> I don't know, maybe 30 machines at most. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that's probably the way they swapped in and out. But Brighton, obviously, there's just loads of room, massive pier yeah. rooms. Yeah, we had the piers uh, or the pier, the Palace Pier had two big arcades on it and West Street was famously, but there were also a load under the, the promenade. Mm -hmm. And that was the one that I was going to mention specifically because it was other than Arcade Club in Berry, where they've got a nicely maintained, refurbished one. The last one I played in the wild was in this particular arcade. So if you were facing inland, just below the pier on, on the underside to the west, I've probably talked about this specific I know it arcade well as before. Well. Yeah, I know yeah it. we went there on my 40th birthday, I think. Yeah, it's got a, a certain smell. It has. It <laughs> smells of the sea. Classic. It really does. Like crabs. Um, yeah, you can actually, because the, the, the foam is actually like, mm -hmm. you know, hitting up up against the rusty underside of the pier right next to it. So it's incredibly evocative. Yep. And yeah, there was a Star Wars machine burbling away to itself. I think, I was trying to think earlier today when the last time I played it was, and obviously I can't swear to my memory being correct, but I have a feeling it was there until the early 2000s. That's incredible. Yeah, um, it was late 90s. At worst, but early 2000s, I think, is a possibility. A sit-down cabinet in an arcade that didn't really refresh its machines much after about 1989, I would have said. Jeez. So, 
Um, but then again, it, was, it becomes that kind of retro cheeky kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, you're selling I it off the name, I wish it was still you? there. Yeah. I wish it was still there. Anyway, my history with Star Wars is that I played that loads every time I saw it. Um, I had a friend who was well into it as well. Sometimes we'd play and look over each other's shoulders and mm. cheer each other on. Um, and then I bought the Atari 800 version, which we'll talk a bit more about later, which wasn't great, but it was just cool to have it on a home computer. And then a few years after that, I got a cover disc from a magazine called Rampage, which had a free copy of the Amiga version on it. Wow. Uh, and I played that absolutely tons with a mouse. And we'll talk about that version as well later. But yes, in, in recent times, the occasional go on Anstream Arcade, which is browser based officially licensed and arcade club or yeah if i ever stumble across one in the wild i'm obviously going to play it yeah atari made this it was designed by mike halley chiefly uh who was uh, i think it was his second game after gravatar which was uh well if you don't know it again check out the recent amazing atari 50 anniversary compilation which is a, a beautiful thing but obviously doesn't feature star wars very no. regrettably because of licensing presumably um, but yeah, Gravitar is a you know, thrust type um, gravity physics based uh, landing space thing, shooter, maneuver, that kind of thing. Uh, very challenging, but very cool. Uh, it was uh, made by a relatively small team, but actually not that small for the time of uh, six or eight people over the course of a couple of years. Uh, you'll see most of their... Um, initials are immortalized in the arcade the default high score table princess leia's rebel force yeah uh, the basic game was converted from a, a previous project abandoned project called warp speed designed to develop 3d image capabilities and the controls that famous yoke were adapted from the controls that were used for the infamous version of battle zone that atari made for the army also known as the bradley trainer uh, which was where they took an entertainment game and turned it into a, a way of teaching potential tank drivers how to manoeuvre and control a tank, which is kind of weird and mad. <laughs> uh, it was uh, initially headed up the project for Star Wars by Ed Rotberg, who had worked on Battlezone, but he left Atari in October 1981. Uh, and then Atari signed the licensing agreement with uh, Lucasfilm, and finish the game uh, you can get the cockpit or upright versions it runs uh, it has a cpu which is a motorola m6809 running at 1.512 megahertz and uh, another chip of exactly the same type which drives the sound uh, but it has four sound chips in there which are the pokey chips which i think are the same ones as in the atari 800 although it doesn't necessarily sound quite like that for whatever reason um and yeah horizontal oriented screen for obvious reasons uh this is from a piece in wireframe by ryan lammy back in uh just last year in 2022 but by the early 80s star wars was already a multimedia phenomenon and lucasfilm was jealously protective over all aspects of its property when the star wars coin-op was at its testing stage halley recalls nervously loading up one of uh, loading up one of the hulking cabinets into the back of a lorry to take it to george lucas's skywalker ranch in marin county I remember that throughout the entire project, the people at Lucasfilm were worried about every little detail, just like they were with their movies. Halley said in a February 2022 edition of the Ted Dabney Experience podcast. This was one of the first times I had to load up a cabinet of that size and drive it to Lucas Ranch for them to go through it with a fine tooth comb. 
It was myself and technician Rob Rowe. I can't remember if George Lucas was at that meeting, but he had a whole entourage of people that played the game, went through all the levels and asked a zillion questions. Fortunately, Lucasfilm's Inquisitors were happy with the resulting game. I think there were certain stipulations like not having the hero like visibly die on screen or your ship break apart, hence you just running out of shields and things like that. I love stories like that, though, because, I mean, how many licensed games do we play, particularly from the 80s, where you think, if only someone had exercised <laughs> a little bit of quality control so over true. this stuff, you know, it might have, might have been a better product. And yeah. you, you can tell from playing this that it, a lot of love and a lot of attention to detail did go into it. It's even clearer now. Yeah, absolutely. There are some surprising things which I think probably in a maybe when expectations of video game adaptations had moved on a bit that they would have changed, such as the, the, the opening logo and crawl aren't the right colour when they could be because that colour's in yeah. there. So there's no, the, like the crawl is blue or something, yeah. not yellow. And the lasers from the, from the X-Wing are blue, not red. And That's interesting, sort of yeah. Things like that. You'd think, well, that, they, I'm surprised they didn't insist on those things, but I guess they thought for whatever reason those were kind of less important. And as you say, they could have done that because there's ledgers in the trench run stage, isn't there, which are yeah, yellow. Exactly. So yeah. they could have, they did could produce yellow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was released in May 1983, hence us really doing this podcast now because that is 40 years ago, give or take. Apparently, according to Arcade History, 10,245 upright units were sold at around $2,295 each. That's not adjusted for inflation. That's what it was back then. And according to Wikipedia, the uh, it was Atari's top-selling 1983 release, with Atari producing a total of 12,695 units, which mathematics says means that only 2,400 2, of the units were sit-down ones, which is probably right, but I feel like I've seen that many in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess most of them went to America, some to Japan, obviously all around the world, but... I've probably only seen, I guess, if I think about it, maybe I've seen like a dozen or something in my life. I don't know, maybe more. But I'm, I'm not. Uh, I feel like I should know this, but is that a lot for for an arcade cap back in the yeah. day? I mean, yeah, it, I was think, it? I think so. Dean, have you got an idea on this? I feel like it's a lot. Over ten thousand sounds like a lot of units to me. Yeah, I would have thought so. I have. For me, I. I did see a few uh, sit-down versions of it, but there was more of the upright cabs. And this this was yeah. in London, you know. There was yeah. arcades around, and uh, mm. it did show up. That one of the last ones I saw was at a fun fair, and it had Empire Strikes Back running in it, which yeah. I yeah. believe was like an upgrade kit, a mod kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't do very well. Um, no, most people... it was old hat by that time, I guess, but. It, it just didn't play as well, did it? I, I don't think, think it was. I don't think it had. Yeah, I mean, I, I did. Play, I played that quite a bit on the uh, on the home versions as yeah. well. But uh, yeah, I just think the, the 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 movie, the sequence that they t they chose for the for the original game, just lent itself so it well. It did. It captures the, the yeah. feel yeah. of the film. Yeah. Um, and also, I just think yeah, people still had a, a a machine that said Star Wars on it that was making money. Why? You know why break it by changing it to to obviously Empire was massively popular as well, but um, I just don't feel they yeah to pay for the upgrade and then do the work on it. I think most people felt it was probably not worth their while, which is why it's become yeah a little bit of a curate's egg that one. 
let's talk about the visuals then. So uh, I'm going to be interested to hear from uh, from those who are less experienced with the coin op, because um, to me, and it sounds like to Dean as well, setting eyes on this back in 1983 or there or thereabouts, although vectors were still around, they weren't quite as popular as they had been, but there was just something that stayed cool about uh, the, uh, vectors. And the fact that these were so fast and smooth and they looked like Star Wars, there was an X-Wing, there were TIE Fighters, there was a Death Star, there was the Trench Run. Um, it was very easy, even then, in to, to headcanon, the idea that you were actually kind of playing the simulator or you were like looking at a heads-up display, but you were, you were also really there. It, to me it was like somewhere between because you knew it wasn't photorealistic to the film which obviously was mainly miniatures and uh small pyro explosions and things like that anyway but it it with especially the sit down version like you said Dean it just it just sucked you straight into the right here I am for me i think what done it as well was that in the actual film of star wars when you saw them looking at a screen it yeah, looked very it similar to the arcade game that's in a right. way you know yeah. it, it had a vector look about it yeah so at the time it just felt wow this i was immersed by it it was amazing i, I believe i believe the um the little death star that they look at when they plug in r2 to, mm. to show by the way i haven't explained star wars uh in this podcast i feel like <laughs> i feel like maybe that but spoilers um <laughs> Uh, yeah, they plug in R2 and they look at a little graphic of a Death Star. I believe that was one of, but not not quite the first. I think the first ever CG sequence in a film was Westworld, which was about 1973. But oh, I think okay. this was one of the one of the earliest, maybe the second uh, or third. Um, the little vector graphic of the Death Star, which yeah. famously is inaccurate to the actual Death Star. <laughs> so the plans the plans they got were fake. Um, <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, the dish doesn't go around the middle in the uh, of the actual thing, unlike in the arcade game, which where they obviously knew what it looked like, the dish is in the in the correct place. Um, but yeah, I think that that actual shot of vectors is early, and there's also those little animated heads up displays on the X-wing dashboards, aren't there? Which kind of just give you a sense, little yeah, uh, a sense of kind of. I mean, uh, uh, we all all knew that even then that we knew that Star Wars wasn't sci-fi so much as it was space wizards and cowboys and it was it was fantasy and it was set in the past but it was it was i don't know it it, it it's so ubiquitous now and there's so much of it it's quite hard to actually kind yeah. of get back what it was like as a five-year-old for me to go and see star wars for the first time because i know everyone you know everyone said it there's been so many documentaries but it genuinely was transformative like to my entire being seeing this film we'd seen space films we'd seen sci-fi stuff we'd seen special effects but there was nothing that moved and looked and felt quite like this and so even six years later in 1983 around the time of return of the jedi it was still so yeah it was huge and it was so enticing to a what was i so i was five when i saw the first film so i was like 11 when when this game came out uh 10 or 11 and yeah so what would I, there's nothing I would have wanted more than to sit down and fly an X-wing. <laughs> anyway, I've gone way off track. No, but I, there. I would say actually, you can't almost recreate. They're not for yourself, but you can recreate it when you, if you ever have children, because you know, as long as you do it early enough, and they haven't been yeah. quite so indoctrinated by Star Wars, you know, everything 
to do with uh, modern culture. You know, if you see, you know, I think mine were around that kind of five, six age when I yeah. first showed them Star Wars and they hadn't been quite, you know, they hadn't, I don't know, been engulfed by modern culture yet. And to see their mm. eyes and like, <gasps> and to to see the whole Darth Vader, st- like it's, you can yeah. almost grasp. I mean, it, strangely for me, obviously Star Wars was out for a good few years before it even become popular culture in my head. So, you know, you are really right there in the middle of it. But yeah, you can kind of almost see that again with kids, young enough kids. I'm not having kids just to do that. No, you're not, no. (laughs) (laughs) That was my one. It's it's wish fulfillment though, isn't it? And, and, you know, you you guys saying earlier that when you look at that sequence in the film, it looks like it could be in a video game itself. It's easy to look at this game now and think, Although I think the graphics have held up really well, and I think that, you know, as you've said, Leon, that retro futuristic look, I think, stands the test of time really well. Mm. But it is easy to look at this and think, oh, but the graphics are just really simple, you know, and it, you, they could do a lot better nowadays, and we've got Star Wars Squadrons, so that's kind of redundant. But I mm. think I think there is something about just this sequence with those style graphics which puts you into that cockpit mm. that Luke Skywalker was in. And that's the point of licensed video games, right? I mean, that it is to it is to take you away and put you somewhere from something else you've seen. And if you combine the visuals of the game with the visuals of the cab itself, which had, and I'm looking at a, a, a large picture of it now, which yeah. had like the hood features around the screen. Yes. If you yeah. have that with the screen in the middle and you've got the hands on a yoke, yeah. and you were Luke Skywalker for yeah. as long as mm-hmm. you could last, right? I mean... Yeah, it was so true. It, yeah, I mean, it's. In, it, I can only imagine how it must have felt. Yeah, it's playing uh, one of these, and it wasn't even like. Obviously, we we ended up even just a few years later with these incredibly sophisticated hydraulic cabinets that Sega put out and all this kind of thing. This was just a little hard hardboard box, basically. <laughs> um, it was it was pretty uncomfortable. Like there was no leather seat, there was no fans blowing air in your face, or any of the modern stuff that you kind of got later on. But it, it didn't have to be anything more than that. It didn't even have curtains that hang down the side like some of the modern ones have. Yeah. It's just like you just sit in it and you're like, yep, boom, here I am. R2's behind me. Let's go. So it's funny coming in from my perspective because, you know, although mm. I was aware of it and have a, had played the um, the Amstrad version, it's not something that really had stuck in the lexicon of my mind. It, you know, from, from what I can see from you, Leon and Dean, that, you know, this was something that was, you know, really influential with your, you know, growing up at that time, where for me, it was, you know, coming onto the show, I felt always going to feel somewhat the outside of like, well, you know, and kind of just messing around and playing this and just to be interesting to have a, a slightly different perspective from it. Yeah, valuable perspective. And, um, but actually, you know, jumping on and, and playing the arcade version, I was pleasantly surprised actually how well it, it, it held up, mm. you know, 40 years down the line, because... I, th- I think it is its simplicity is is the actual you know, is everything to this because because of the vector lines and it feels so Tron esque kind of that kind of really clean crisp sharp lines it just immerses you like straight into it and you I, if, even forty years down the line I'm like yeah no this this is the film like I know where this is from the film and this really really works yeah. now of course after about ten minutes of play you're like okay so this is kind of what we do now and, and this is all that it is going to be. And that's maybe a, a different conversation about the gameplay beyond that initial kind of feeling. But I have to say, 40 years down the line, just, just messing around mm. with it via a web browser, it really felt evocative. And then I was like, well, 
fine, there's lots of other games, you know, there, there was lots of versions of this game, so I'm sure they all felt the same. And then no. you start to, to see the, the interpretation of what each piece of hardware can do, and, you know, some lines are far bigger and broader, and it doesn't, it doesn't work quite the same, or some, oh, yeah. some of the color palettes are slightly different, and it's like, yeah. no, that, that actually doesn't, or the music isn't quite where it needs to be. And I came back after kind of watching, you know, the cavalcade of all these different versions and ju- jumped back into that arcade version. I was like, wow, like this, this is almost spot on from the very first version. Of course, you know, there, there was the later ones, which maybe invoke a bit more kind of realism. But yeah. I have to say, actually, jumping into it for the first time in, in a long time, just the arcade version, it, it felt really good. The, the the performance is crucial here to the game in that the original yeah. runs. I don't actually know what frames per second the original runs at, but it's fast and smooth enough and the aiming cursor never slows down. Yeah. So it's it's solid and it's consistent, mm-hmm. whereas obviously a lot of the home versions suffered with processing issues quite badly. And so the feel, obviously, back then we, we, we expected and accepted downgrades from arcade machines, even though that this was a, a relatively late conversion. But it definitely did, you know, rob the game of of some of its impact, um, for sure. And also, this this will probably come back to conversations that you had on the Vectrex show, which is the thing about a, a vector monitor. Or I think is it XY monitor they're called. Um, they they effectively have like infinite resolution, right? So whereas a home version is going to have jaggies and zigzags mm-hmm. all over the place, depending on the resolution you're running at. Now the cool thing is, but with with modern displays, now we're getting to a point where you can re- replicate vectors in 4K or whatever, and they start to look quite close to how they looked on an original screen, which I think we've seen to an extent on that recent Atari 50 compilation. Yeah, We've seen some of the best recreations of vectors yet, and they're getting better at sort of uh, replicating the glow of the phosphor and things like that. But it's still not perfect, and we've had we've had animated conversations about playing on original hardware, but absolutely, <laughs> this is one where if you can play it on an original vector monitor, original hardware, it's a different experience. So I've got a question for for you guys who'd seen this in the arcade. Because this was obviously a vector monitor as opposed to a raster monitor like most of the others were, what, what was it like when you were in the arcade and you could see this amongst other more typical screened arcades? Did, did that glow kind of stand out from the screen? Well, yeah, it did, but as Leon's already said, there were other Vector games out there. Um, I totally forgot about Asteroids, which is another favourite of mine. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, with Vector graphics, there is that glow, they're pin sharp, they do stand out. They're like wireframe graphics, aren't they, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, in some ways, it does look um out of date and vintage and you know even back then you but i don't know i i personally love vector graphics and just the glow in a in a dark room i think mm. they look amazing yeah yeah so yeah. they do if stand it... out compared to other machines yeah if the screen is uh quite new so the the the, the black is still inky and the, yeah. the phosphor is still very glowy and obviously yeah, if you go to a proper place like arcade club where they really maintain this stuff and yeah keep it as, as looking as good as it did um but the other thing that stood out about this game that you would hear echoing across the arcade we've 
talked about this kind of thing a lot with when we've covered arcade games in the past, but some some games audio was just audible above the cacophony of the arcades. And you could just hear that little jingle and the 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 Han Solo Yahoo, you're all clear kid, and the yeah. and the little twinkly music that John Williams composed for the film echoing away through the arcades like you, your ears would prick up especially if you were you know a star wars kid but um it was one of those things and you know if you walk past the machine and saw the the attract mode with the logo done out in vectors and hear obi-wan's actual voice albeit you know reproduced in a relatively low bit rate saying you know the force will be with you always again it was just very hard to ignore a bit unfair really is it even you know 40 years of a uh... Past yeah. past knowledge, there's still not been another tune that maybe as iconic as, <laughs> as that one. So you know, it had it all to itself. It's unfair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that that takes us nicely onto the the music because um, it is like it isn't lushly orchestrated music, but it is very recognisably John Williams mm-hmm. themes reproduced in I don't know actually how many channels. It sounds like maybe three or four. Um, yeah. it says says there were four chips, but it's it's just like uh, polyphonic. Be- not beeps it beeps is doing but it's like they're they're just like tones or chimes it's not there's no there's no attempt really to make it sound like the london symphony orchestra because that would have been <laughs> folly but the tunes are strong enough the- williams themes are strong enough mm-hmm. that uh that it does the job chimes is a good way to describe it uh, di- so uh, it was one of the things when I'm, i've spent quite a bit of time playing this over the past few weeks and it was one of the things when I was playing it, which it grated on me a little bit because it it it's got like a jaunty feel to it, hasn't it? The the the, the mm. main tune that plays over the 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 main action kind of feels a little bit boppy, you know, and jaunty. And I was thinking, nah, man, this doesn't feel like Star Wars. I need something a bit more, you know, I need something to get my blood pumping. And then you play some of the ports, and some of them, <laughs> Dean, are are very quiet. Yes, uh, I knew you was going to bring this up, but there is a second... We'll come on to it because I, know you've, I yeah. know you've got the answer, so I let's have, come on to I it have. later when we talk about the ports. But, you re- but when you play the... What, some of the ports have music, but when you play the ports that don't, you really, really miss yeah. them. Yeah, of course. So I'm in two minds about the, the, the music. The sound, I think, is great, and the voice samples are, are would yeah. have been great and still, are, still add a lot to the game. But that jaunty music... Ugh. That's interesting. Sure. I I can sort of I can sort of understand that. Um, but for me, it is forever tied to the whole experience. But actually, yes, it does it does juxtapose a bit with the kind of the the beefiness of the the sound effects and the roar of the Tie yeah. Fighters, uh, and the those lovely. Although they're not film accurate, but they're they're cool laser noises and yeah. uh, and booming explosions. And yeah, so you've got this kind of quite twinkly jaunty music you do also one thing of note is um although obviously we we're already familiar with it at this point the the game features the imperial march which was never in which was never in star wars uh but by this point it was de facto what you wanted to hear when darth vader came on the screen (laughs) and so they made it happen yeah according to the guinness world records organization this was the first video game to use samples from a movie According to that Wireframe article, I can't uh, verify that. I'm going to assume he did. Uh, obviously, we had had uh, 
samples before and voices in games but uh, but it was rarer back then but to hear actual hollywood actors doing their their lines from the film albeit slightly garbledy uh was was pretty I can just see the review now underneath Chris Wevington a tad jaunty though you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> people who <laughs> um but yeah the does the sound come across playing it on the web browser version tony i mean cuz <laughs> cuz the the it, it it, while it didn't necessarily have like a subwoofer or anything, the the the, the old sit down cabinet used to vibrate and rumble as you blew things up, which again wow. just added to the immersion. No, I mean it's it's bare bones. Um, yeah, yeah. So the web browser version, I, I I should have taken note of which one I played, but the web browser version I had actually didn't have the music in it, so I can only say that's down to a licensing. Uh, reason why i mean i've obviously okay. then watched all the stuff after yeah, yeah, to see sure. that um and yeah that that certainly adds adds to the element but obviously it's just a track that essentially plays in the background so we we mm. know it well so i've heard it a number of times but i think like chris said it's 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 funny going and then looking how other game other machines interpreted that sound because yeah. you, know, you might just be playing for it and go yeah that's yeah that's that's fine sounds sounds about right and then you, you realise how it's interpreted. You're like, wow, they, they really nailed it. They they knocked it out of the park on, on the arcade version. So, And yeah, it's good to hear the voice as well, isn't it? Um, you know, I always, I always love that, the muffled voice that comes through yeah. any of these, uh, these arcades. Yeah, it's just, but it's really cool. It's, it's, it yeah. still sounds cool now. See, I think it's interesting. You two are obviously younger than me and Leon, so... Oh, it's been I a long time since game. someone said that to me, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. When I played the game, the, the sound at the time was very, very impressive. Yeah. yeah. Looking back at it now, yes, it does sound a bit funky, but you know, at the time, that's how most arcade games sounded, especially Atari games. They had a distinctive sound of their own. Yeah, very much so. I still think the voice samples add so much to the gameplay, though. I mean, I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier on, but I so I played this using the uh, on the GameCube. Yeah, you, on the uh, the Rogue Squadron, Rogue, yeah. Rogue Squadron Three, isn't it on the GameCube? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, just one thing, just just to just to quickly hark back to the graphics. That the graphics are so dark on that yeah. version, and it, it's a that's shame. because it's on a. What was you playing it on a CRT, Chris? Or... I was playing it on a I playing it on a CRT, but even even on a CRT, Dean, I think yes, but the, it's the not sub... a vector monitor, so it's not going to look right. No, but it's it's weirdly dark, and I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't find any way to brighten it up. Which which anyway, that's going back to the graphics. Certainly, kind of meant that I had a felt like I had a far less than ideal mm. uh, graphics experience playing this. Although you know, that is a a, a pure arcade perfect uh, emulation. Um, besides the fact that you can barely see, yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the controls, but, and the controls. We'll come on to that. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, but the sound. I mean, even even now, yeah, yes, they are garbled, and you've got to remember this is nineteen eighty three, and it's all very compressed. But it's unmistakably Han Solo, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. un, it's unmistakably Obi Wan Kenobi, and still, no matter how many times you blow up the Death Star, when you hear mm-hmm. Han Solo saying you, you you whatever he says about that voice sample when you blow up the Death Star. Can't help but get a yes, Han. I did it, didn't I? And I'll go and do it again now. It's five funny minutes. you say that. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, for the limited tech that they had, that does actually sound like Harrison yeah. Ford. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. it does. It is. Yeah. It is a sample. Okay. I mean, it is literally a sample. It's just low bit rate. They they resampled it for the Amiga game, 
so it's all straight off a VHS tape. You can hear the music. Yeah, you can in the hear background. the music in the background. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, um, it gets but, the hairs on the back of your neck, and when he says he's, he says something like "You're all clear now, kid," doesn't you're he? Or some, kid. Some, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, come on, you know, I want to do it again, and it, that see again if you, without those voice samples, it, it's less of a game. And the urgency invoked by uh, R two trying to increase the power, and I've lost R two. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. when you, you yeah. your last shield is gone, and you get Luke, you know, excitedly or fearfully saying I've lost R2, which means in this case you've lost your shields and one more hit and it's game over. Yeah, Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Back to that Wireframe article. Uh, Ryan Lammy says, Star Wars brilliance lay in the way it used all of these things to create a sense of occasion. Other games had fulfilled power fantasies like driving tanks or racing cars, but none had succeeded in recreating a pivotal moment in cinema to quite such a thrilling degree before. You only have to compare Atari's Star Wars to other licensed games that came before it, such as the company's own Raiders of the Lost Ark or Tron, to see the difference. Solid though those games were, they didn't attempt to faithfully recreate the sights, sounds or emotions of the movies they were based on. As Halley himself put it in that podcast, between the visuals, the surround of the cockpit, your hands on the controller, it all just made sense. One thing I was going to say about the uh, that sort of headcanon idea of the visuals as simulator or seeing it through like some augmented reality HUD, there was no augmented reality back then. That term, I guess, probably hadn't been invented when I yeah. was first playing this arcade game. But there was, uh, you, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the, the radio plays that they did of the Star Wars trilogy. They were produced in America and they were played over here on Radio 1, weirdly. Um <laughs> But they're quite interesting. I've got the scripts to the first two because they actually added some what was then official canon to the films by having some extra scenes and things like that, that you could, um, you know, just like like any radio play, you can see it in your, you know, see it in your mind's eye, you listen to the voices. I think... Um, I think Mark, Mark Hamill did do his, did, played his own role and Anthony Daniels was in it as well. They had soundalikes or... or whatever for other actors for the other main the main characters but one scene i remember because i recorded it off the radio onto a cassette tape <laughs> was when and it actually makes sense this scene much more than the film version which i suppose you can just say well it happens off screen luke turns up on the fourth moon of yavin and they say yeah we need all the fighter pilots we can get here you go son here's this multi-billion dollar <laughs> you know credit spaceship go and kill the death star for us will you son um but in the radio play he goes in a simulator to prove his worth uh so you actually there's a whole sequence where you hear him playing this simulator or or going on this x-wing simulator and to me that made sense and it made sense then that the the arcade version obviously the the canon breaking aspect of the arcade machine is the infinite death stars (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it makes sense if you're in a simulator I'm going to do that again, only harder, and do it better this time. Yeah, but that's no fun. There's no immediacy <laughs> about being in a simulator, is it? You don't want you want to be in the real thing. Yeah, I suppose. It completely makes sense from a radio drama perspective, though. I think it's uh, yeah, and completely understand why they didn't do it in the film. That's one of those nutty things that, about the original films that now, when uh, modern fans pick holes in absolutely any piece of modern Star Wars, they will happily ignore (laughs) the fact that (laughs) there was a load of utter nonsense in the original films that made no sense whatsoever. Um, But it was okay because it was was then and it was George Lucas. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about the gameplay such as it is. Um, now, I, I'm curious here because, again, I, I knew what... Uh, I, I played other games that were just shooters, sometimes with light guns, sometimes without at this point. Um, but I don't think, again, I wasn't really familiar with the term if it had been invented, like on-rails shooter. I didn't even really think about the fact when I sat down to play this game that the, the game, I kind of knew it, but I kind of didn't know it and I kind of didn't care. The fact that the game basically steers you through, like you're not in control of movement. In my head, I didn't really know if that was the case. I thought maybe I was influencing it somehow. It's, I know it seems weird to say now because you can, it's obvious. But Dean, what about you? Did, did you have that as a kid? Did no, you... I think you're right in that you didn't really think about it. I was just yeah. too busy shooting things yeah, to worry right. about controlling yeah. the ship too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, you, you're right. You, we didn't have that term uh, yeah. at the time. And because, so for those who haven't played it, when you move the cursor around on the screen, whatever controller you're using, on the original arcade machine, not necessarily on all the ports, but the, the wings move about so that you can just see the front of the four famous four X-Wing wings, the S-Foils, I guess. Uh, apologies, I'm, although I'm a big Star Wars fan, I'm not one of those people that knows all the, all the words and all the stuff that doesn't happen on the, on the screen. Um, so you see them, you see them kind of moving around as, as you tilt your ship and, and it feels like the stars maybe tilt a little bit as you, yeah as you move around as well. So it gives you a sense that you do have some agency in space. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like kind of what would come later with Virtua Cop or something where you're literally just aiming the sights. It, they, they, they cleverly gave it just the, the notion that yeah. you were, Flying an I think that's prominent as well when you're going down through the tower stages. It feels like you could mm. go more left, more right, mm -hmm. and actually <laughs> yeah. take... I mean, yes, you are essentially just trying to destroy tops of towers, but it, it felt like you had some element of control of which towers you could you, focus on. You, Yeah, you are steering left and right on the surface, it's true. You you do... You are... You're effectively in a in a, a endless cycling space, or it ends <laughs> yeah. when when you've been over it a certain amount of times and you can steer left and right. That is true. It's not. It, so I suppose in that sense, it isn't just like a virtual cop type game because you are, if you, if you thread the cursor mm -hmm. through the eye of the needle, you can avoid taking a hit from those towers. Yeah. Even in the trench, you, you know, in the trench, you can decide to not take hit via laser fire by moving to the right or left hand. If you know yeah, exactly where true. they're coming from. So yeah. there is an element of yeah. control there that beyond just pop head up shoot. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, the the opening phase definitely it felt like they're definitely trying to give you the illusion of being able to chase these tie fighters around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Although I I was trying to, you know, it, it's not wing commander, is it? Let, let's let's face no. it, but I I was trying to I was trying to work out whether when the when the tie fighters flew off the screen and if I was going to hold in the cares mm. that way, mm. whether I whether they did kind of remain where they were off the mm. screen. Mm. Uh, and I came to the conclusion I didn't think that mm, they nah. did. But it really does give you the illusion that you have a lot of agency over your ship, even yeah. though, you know, every now and again, you it'll just swing ground and, uh, you know, you'll think, oh, did I do that? Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, actually. And I, I kind of, I suppose I fell into the trap there of kind of thinking it's an on-rail shooter because... In some ways it is, but yeah, you, you are, you are, as, as Tony says, you are doing more than just aiming. Yeah, you are. You are 
threading as well um particularly on the once you get beyond the first meridian trench run the uh they're absolutely laced with obstacles which of course again is a thing that is not in the film um but influences many many video game versions of the trench run that came after it because the actual trench run in the film all you've got is cannons left and right yeah i think uh, as i recall there's no there's no ducking under things and obviously we you know we got the amazing inside the death star run in in the third film where you know the millennium falcon's spinning and twisting and they hadn't even really you know because um the, the the way they did the miniatures for this film they were uh, learning as they went and working out how to do this, uh, you know, this go motion or whatever it's called. Um, no, it's not go motion, is it? I've forgotten the name of the the system they came up with. I watched all the documentaries recently, um, <laughs> but they couldn't make the ships, you know, do the acrobatics that they wanted them to be able to do until they until Empire and, and beyond. So it's it's interesting, actually, Luke, as you go into the trench, Luke does a kind of cool spin um yeah. inverted role or whatever and um he doesn't do that in the film it's just <laughs> but it's just to make you feel cool in the in the in the game <laughs> doesn't do it in most of the ports either to be no. fair but the, no, the right. better ones he does yeah so somebody played it a lot is there set patterns in this is this something you can learn from or is it because yeah. you do have the ability to move maybe left or right certainly in some aspects it's not doesn't quite work like that but I, I'm, I'm thinking more of the trench run like Mm. Is there always going to be fire from the left-hand side, bottom corner one versus top? Mm. I feel like that probably I, should be because it seems like it's a step too far not to, but... I wouldn't swear to it always being identical. I think there might be elements of variation depending on dip switch settings, difficulty, um, maybe where you are on the screen. I, I, I'm not... I couldn't... I couldn't tell you for sure. Hundreds of pounds if, dropped into this machine, Leon. Come on, you can <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it's similar, but I feel like there might be slight variations okay. in terms of what happens. And certainly, like when you do the tower run, it's uh, it, it is affected by you know what's on the screen because you are controlling what's coming at you. You can you can continually veer away from the towers if you want, and you'll get less. But, yeah. okay, you'll but, get shot at. So, so for in my head, like it's relatively simple. Um, to run through the first, you know, easy stage, three or four levels, but towards the back end of the, the harder sections, oh yeah, where there is a lot going on on screen. I'm wondering whether it's just like you know, if you stick at this, you know, that it's bottom right, left, top. You know, it feels like I to, don't to know do it how in one credit, it is. It, you, you'd yeah. almost need to. But yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen people doing like the the later wave trench runs, and it's just this kind of. If you've seen it, if you've ever seen anyone doing it on an original controller, they are slamming the controller <laughs> like top, right, left, bottom and and hammering those four fire buttons like for, for all they're worth. You can shoot fireballs through the trench. Yeah. The things that block the trench. It's, it's vital that you do that. Um, these vectors do not mask what what comes ahead of them. Um, that sort of came later. Yeah. Um, I don't know how. I don't having played it a lot. I don't feel like it's always identical, but there are certainly certain elements which will repeat. So, such as you know, Darth Vader comes in at the same oh, point. Um, yeah. The the one that I always remember and and being very challenging, particularly at the arcade, was the first Tie Fighter where Luke says, "I can't shake him." Um, and we should talk about the fact that like the the big kind of compromise they've made to this 
to make this playable or, or, or a workaround that they came up with. Obviously, the TIE fighters can't shoot laser beams like you're shooting at you like they do in the films because you just go bam, 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 your shields are gone and you're dead. Um, <laughs> unless they've made it into a full-blown dogfighting simulator. So what did they do? They have the TIE fighters shoot puffy little <laughs> kind of magical... Um, What's what's the word like dandelion clocks at you, and they, and they snowflakes. Kind of, yeah, snowflakes, and they and they float towards you at least in the early levels, and you can shoot them out the sky. Now this makes no Star Wars sense whatsoever, <laughs> but presumably, the people at Atari said, "Look, this is the only way we can make this fun." And I, I get if there was one thing to me that was never quite as I wanted it to be, given how much of a key part of the gameplay this is, it's kind of a shame that the Tie Fighters don't actually shoot at you properly. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it did make me wonder. It it made me wonder whether there was whether this started life as a as a non Star Wars game, which I, I don't did. think it did. No, it did. Yeah, well, the, the actual kind of gameplay started off as a. It was going to be a Star Wars clone, was it? Well, warp speed. This game, yeah, I don't know how much of a how how far they'd gone down the the route of it. Yeah, yeah because the, the the stuff on the surface of the Death Star feels very. It feels like that would have been, you know, almost a direct ripoff. But you mm. wonder how much then of that, you know, the fireball stuff and the things like the, the catwalks in the trenches are hangovers mm. from a time when this wasn't a Star Wars maybe. game. Or maybe they were just ways of making a Star Wars Accommodations. game, making it playable. I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the for me, it is always the, I think it's the third or fourth wave, which you can, in traditional uh, format for the Atari games of the era, you can choose to start at a higher wave and yeah. get a big old points bonus, which is cool. But um, but obviously, if you're if you're there as a kid with a limited amount of money, you always start at the beginning <laughs> because you want to play for as long as possible. <laughs> and you like those easy waves where you get to shoot the tie fight. For me, it's just gamifying something. You know, it, it gives you more reasons to be you know shooting things other than just you know the, the ships coming across yeah. the screen and yeah, there being a little bit of danger coming back at you oh yeah but it's funny i was i was jotting down some some notes for each different version and my only uh jot mm. down for amiga is uh looks like magic stars being fired at you yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think out of all the versions that one looked like it was some sort of confetti being shot yeah, at the player that's um, it it's just it, a little bit they're just a little bit, bit too, too much pretty. yeah it was a bit yeah. <laughs> it's just like the rainbow being fired at you yeah um but no, they, I, I like the way sense. they sort of dissipate into purple as you shoot them. But um, but yes, it's uh, I, I just always obviously up to this point talking about other film games we played. They were so massively compromised compared to the originals in so many ways. This felt like as close to you as you could possibly get mm. to recreating Star Wars in a video game. So this minor concession to actually not just being shot down by lightning fast laser fire was acceptable but yeah i always felt it was a weird choice but i guess that's how you showed up laser blasts that you could shoot on a vector screen i'm not sure <laughs> yeah. what else they could have done really i suppose because yeah. in in recent star wars they've added more kind of um, missiles and things like that to to space combat whereas it was all lasers in the first game uh in the first film sorry um so they could have maybe done something with that with um yeah, with with vector graphics, uh, concussion missiles or something like that. But yeah, Star Wars hadn't done that yet, so they would have had to invent invent that instead of the dandelion clocks. <laughs> it's that ability, isn't it? It's that jump in, jump in and play. 
this what what yeah. all arcade games they, they they have to hook you yeah and and those concessions you know like you can't be shot from behind so he, he will say at one point i can't shake him i can't shake him but you know <laughs> you know you're never going to lose a shield if you can't see a fireball coming towards you because that that would just be unfair and it wouldn't be fun too right so yeah. it's it, it's that combination of giving you the wish fulfillment the power fantasy of being in a uh being in an x-wing chasing down tie fighters with not just being so ludicrously difficult or unfair and one thing that this this does yeah this does get really difficult you know once you get beyond kind of the fourth wave fifth wave i'd really struggle <laughs> it's crazy but, oh yeah you but you could typically get through the first three i imagine without much practice yeah you can get through the first three waves which is probably a good five minutes of gameplay yeah. for your for your tempe yeah absolutely yeah, how much I, was I, it I a play? thinking about that well it, it, i don't think it, it wasn't an outrageous one as i recall no uh, maybe back in... in those days I've, I've, i remember putting 10p into it yeah oh, it, it was not even amazing <laughs> not even london prices yeah, yeah. <laughs> four quid mate I, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well no, later on I... in the 80s you would have been pay, paying 50p yeah. or a pound mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i definitely remember it being a, a 10 uh, probably 20 probably I think it was one of those where you put in 10p and it would say half a credit and then you put in the other 10p and it would say one credit maybe. But it possibly got, yeah, obviously they, they fiddled around with these things as the games got older and whatever else. Um, but yes, it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't one of those prohibitively you're going to get 30 seconds for your two quid and there's your pocket money gone for the week. I can no longer afford beer and cigarettes. Um, Ridge Racer <laughs> yeah. type experience. Well, I had to say that as well because when I, I jumped on it, now I was playing a a browser version with a mouse so yeah that makes it a, yeah. a far lot easier than than uh, probably some of the control methods in the other games but you know i got through those opening you know well like let's say five probably to the fifth stage um fairly competently so you know you would definitely got that kind of money's worth and i'd actually argue the further you get into the game and the more crazy it gets the less fun is returned via that craziness just because yeah. it's like there's it just becomes so more much about on screen survival, yeah. uh, keeping yeah. your shields up and 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 getting through. We should talk, especially Dean and I, more about the playing with the original yoke control. Yeah, I was going to say that it's it's going to be to me. It was more difficult with the yoke than it is playing with a hmm. mouse. Inverted controls. Yeah. Are we? Uh, so you pull, you twist the the side bits back to aim up and push it forward to aim down. So it's pilot controls yeah, okay. effectively. Nice. Um, which always made sense to my brain, mm-hmm. although I'm not an inverter for like character controls. I know mo- most people are, or about it's about half and a half. But, um, but what I will say about this controller is, uh, again, I don't remember my my first ever play, but I'd played other games with similar yoke controllers, and and they continue to use this uh, controller or similar for quite a long time. Road Blasters had one in two. Uh, 1987 very similar controller and i always found it really intuitive actually to to aim with it um and the four fire buttons which effectively all do the same thing because that um the the lasers would come out of the of the wing tips um but it would just fire in a sequence so but basically the four buttons give you the opportunity to fire faster um and that's what you need especially with those i can't shake him sequences when it's just fireball 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 yeah. fireball and then the real skill is trying to lead just get your one accurate shot onto the leading fighter and then clear up the the fireballs that he's left behind but yeah it was it was hugely challenging yeah um my friend jim who i mentioned before who was a a keen player um 
yeah, got really good at it and would be, again, as I say, absolutely slamming the, that controller. The yoke around. had some weight to it, didn't it, really? Yeah, you yeah. You had to really you know, force it about, like you say, slam it around. Mm, yeah, which added something to the feel itself, I think. Was there any kind of force feedback on the yoke no, when no. you... No. No, no, it's it's um it's loose in that sense. It, yeah, it, it uh I don't know, but I suspect some of the those later Sega uh, yeah. Star Wars trilogies. Afterburner was the, the the first machine I remember like vibrating, so mm. <laughs> or Operation yeah. Wolf actually. Ah, oh, oh, yeah. great gun that is. Who's <laughs> <laughs> um, nine millimeter? With the sit down cab, was it like a seat or was it like a stool? It, just almost, it, it was almost... like a bench. Yeah, it was just a just, piece of wood, wasn't it? It wasn't comfortable. You did nope. get a sore bum after sitting in there. It is a lack of bit of wood across the thing. Job yeah. done. <laughs> that is it. Yeah, Love no, it. no leatherette. No, in my, um, no. In my I head, mean, I'm almost imagining like one of those spindle stools. <laughs> you used to sit down with a yoke in your hand, but not quite. Yeah, there. no, it's full bench. It's like if you look at a picture of the cabinet, then just you see where the the seat is. It's just that. It's just hard. Did you did you play it's the like, yeah. the upright as well as the sit down, Leon? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, Which if one's it better? was if that. Oh, sit down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sit down is just cool. It's you know. It's, yeah, it's the sand a... as well. I think it had a speaker behind you, didn't it? So it correct, just, especially it just... perfect for R two yeah. shouts. Yeah. yeah, as you say, the, the the sound vibrated. It rumbled. It was just immersive. Yeah, yeah. If you do get to if you do get to arcade club or or one of the others that like that that has a Star Wars machine, do do play it because it is. Undoubtedly, a, a kind of different, more yeah, more yeah, elevated. Just a different experience. experience, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the yoke and the control method generally is just one of those other reasons why you it, it's impossible to recreate the the experience at home without having the cap. Well, you say that. <laughs> the, well, 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 this is it. Well, you will. Yeah, we'll, I mean, you we'll, can. So you can buy one of these yokes, right? A USB yoke. Yeah, yeah, a replica D? replica yoke. I, uh, we saw this. Um, GRS flight yoke. There That's we go. it. Yeah, these are two hundred fifty pounds. Yeah, they've only just come out, I believe. Um, I've not tried one myself, but I've heard good things about them. A lot of people build quality. Apparently, very good. A lot of people are actually replacing. Because there is an arcade mm. one-up version of this, they're taking the the yoke that comes with that out of these uh, arcade right. one-up cabs and <laughs> yeah. replacing them with this. How much is the arcade one-up cab? Six hundred, seven hundred. I love the idea yeah, of paying that and then like ripping out the internals with my own stuff. I know. Yeah. They look cool. Those so you pay a thousand pound for three levels of gameplay, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> free game, still cheaper. <laughs> free game, still but that's cheap. how big this game was. People want to recreate that experience. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I've even seen people have made a sit-down version right. <laughs> around the arcade yeah. one-up cab. You know, they've yeah, built yeah. the rest of it. Yeah, but it's because you can't do it. The I mean, there's no other way. I mean, I I played on the GameCube, which you know, which is serviceable. It emulates it, but. Trying to control the the aim and rescue. You need a big cardboard cheap... box and recreate the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I think it's called having order something from IKEA and <laughs> yeah, I think it's called yeah. having but the space with... to stick an arcade cab in anyone's home is an issue. Well, you know, and then just for that one, well, technically it's three games, yeah. so you know, you could use a bunk bed, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but the twitchy sticks, I mean it. It it means that on later waves, it's so difficult to to, oh, yeah, to yeah. clear the fighters. It's uh, yeah. we we will talk about the other ports though. But some of the I was watching some of the gameplay of some of the other ports, and it, like some of the I guess it's just processor speed. Like 
yeah. some of the hitboxes, people trying to just shoot oh, well, shoot yeah. some of the TIE fighters out the sky and just it almost seems impossible on some of the versions. Oh, some of them are incredible. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll get on to it. But yeah, it's just, yeah, I, 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 yeah, fair enough. I do probably need to, to trace down a, a sit down cab one day and, uh, yeah, and give it a go just for that real kind of authentic arcade experience. But yeah, it's understandable that they're not just around the local corner. Forty years down yeah. the line, so. well, only recently in my yeah. in my little world. But um, yeah, one thing I did want to mention was uh, so when when I played this, which was quite a bit at the arcades, and would always start at the beginning. I didn't really care about high scores at this point, and and on this game in particular, I just wanted to shoot the tie fighters out the sky, hear the noises, you know, all that stuff. That didn't mention yet that one of the great things about the, the vectors allowed is that the tie fight tie fighters break oh, apart do, satisfyingly yeah. um which even more so i mean there is a bit of this in episode four but it's something they've obviously been able to go bigger on as uh as cg has got more advanced in the films with you know much more spectacular kind of tie fighters breaking apart type explosions and you see the little ball go flying off and all that kind of stuff whereas most of the ships blowing up in episode four were just kind of straight paper pyro boom uh ships flying apart but again because of the vectors they actually got to do the thing where you would yeah like shoot the wing off a tie fighter and then it would just kind of slowly drift in space and yeah that was a lot of fun what i wanted to mention was the fact that when you go in the trench you hear obi-wan kenobi say use the force luke i just thought that was another little touch Mm, of of in-game you know movie sampling and it was just setting the atmosphere. But it turns out, I found this out, I reckon, when I played the Amiga version, probably in about 1990. I don't wow. think I knew about this <laughs> for seven years. That if you don't shoot while running down the trench until <laughs> until it's proton torpedo time, you get a, you get a big old score bonus. Yeah. And I mean, it increases as you go through the waves as well. Yeah. It gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. There, yeah. There's actually quite a, a relatively dense scoring system because although this was obviously a video game designed to attract folks who were blown away by the movie and wanted to try to recreate it, but this was a video game in arcades and therefore scoring became, you know, a big part of it. So you got everything from your thousand point TIE fighters. Uh, you can hit Darth Vader's ship for 2000 points. You can't kill him. That was one of the other stipulations, obviously from, from Lucas at the time, uh, 200 points for laser bunkers, but for the towers, you get 200 points, but they go up each one you get, and you get a nice big old bonus for shooting them all. Uh, trench turrets are only worth a hundred fireballs which is what the enemy lasers are called officially, are worth 33 points apiece. 33. Yeah. Um, the exhaust port is 25,000, but you get a 50,000 bonus for destroying all the tower tops, which is ironic that it, you get uh, you get half as many points for blowing up the Death Star <laughs> as you do for destroying the defences on the Death Star. Uh, you get 5,000 points per shield remaining at the end of a wave. And you get those score bonuses if you've started on medium or hard difficulty. Say, I think there are four difficulties under the dip switch settings. No idea what most arcade operators were using. I don't remember detecting any. Sometimes you would go to an arcade machine and you'd know that the operator was a git because the game would obviously be cranked up to the max. 
but in this case i don't remember there being any wild differences um yeah and you get you can get up to a hundred thousand points for using the force on wave five and above which is well if you've ever yeah if nothing else if you don't get to play the game listener have a look at sort of wave five trench run and imagine doing that without firing back <laughs> yeah. yeah i could do it on the first i could do it on the first oh, wave. yeah yeah <laughs> but i couldn't i could never do it without shooting the fireballs I, I really struggle with on the trench run i really struggle with kind of miss it with missing the fireballs i, agree. I mean I, I, yeah. I, I could i could avoid the catwalks but I couldn't avoid the catwalks and avoid the fireballs. Mm. But if you look at high-level players, I mean, they never shoot. Yeah. And they just, they're just everywhere and they miss everything. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this is actually, for me, and maybe it's just me not being good enough, but after having 40 years of playing this, um, I think it's a flaw in the game is you can't really see where your ship's hitbox yeah, is yeah, in yeah, any yeah. way. Yeah. Like, you know that, Obviously, you're steering effectively with the cursor, threading these needles. But if the fireball hits you right on the edge of the screen, that still counts as a shield gone. And I never fully, yeah. like you, I've ne even after all these years and all these plays and different versions, I've never fully got confident about when I'm about to not hit something. The, the, some of the home versions are even harder because of the frame rate issues. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's. I think if this was a a, a modern game, it would it would have some way of indicating whether something was about to hit you or not, or yeah. you were about to hit and, something. And it feels inconsistent as well. So on the second stage, mm. on the tower stage, it feels like a lot less hits you and it feels much easier to avoid the fireballs as you mm. navigate your way through the towers and try to shoot them. Whereas on the trench run, yeah, I mean, it felt like sometimes it would they would go past you and you think, okay, well, I kind of am getting the judge in the distance and then the next two or three will hit you. And it's like, well, I was in exactly the same position. Dean, did you know about using the force back in the day or was this a no, revelation? No, it was a, a recent thing. Um, probably <laughs> only a few years back, to be honest. Right, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't have any idea about that. <laughs> Come on, did you guys not move left on the, on the, on the attract screen it does to tell get you. the instructions? Yeah. I never read that. <laughs> no. I never read Come that. on. A run yeah. up to the machine. If there was no one playing it, you just jumped in it, put your coin in, and away you went. Go read the instructions first. Never go left. <laughs> <laughs> Always right. Come on. Uh, Dean's go right. right. Just get playing. Yeah, I'm still I'm still bad for that to this day, not reading instructions on screen and ignoring stuff, as, as was seen in the recent Guacamole podcast, where I just yes. ignored something really <laughs> obvious and made the game much harder for myself. So, yeah. It is a high score game. It's a, it's definitely a game of skill that you can get good at because people have demonstrated this. As Chris says, you can watch videos of people doing endless trench runs and never shooting. The marathon scores for this, as you pointed out to me, Chris, are actually quite terrifying in terms of... What... I love this. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> so in 1984, Robert uh, Mruczek, I think, or Mruczek, scored 300 million points in... 49 hours of gameplay. Oh <laughs> the world like, record for Like you do. Yeah. 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 You've I got... love just how, how nuts must you be to think, right, for the next two days in a bit, I'm going to stand at this or sit in this machine. Capita. Non-stop. Plugged in. Job done. We're yeah. <laughs> Pee bottle. <laughs> Poop sock. Um, in 2005, Brandon Erickson set a world endurance record for this game of 
54 hours on a single credit. For, yeah, yeah, 40 was enough. <laughs> Score of 283 million. I don't know what... Uh, I, I have seen some arcade records where there are... You're allowed a Sections time. where yeah. people... Yeah, or people can actually... Um, there, there are bits of a game where people know they can run away, do a quick pee, and then come back without having lost yeah. all their shields or whatever. It might be one of those. But I'm sure, me. Leon. In, I'm sure in those marathon runs they were playing it on settings where you, where, the, where your shields didn't replenish after each run. Yeah, right. So does it actually give you so you had wave number, or is it just? I think it just keeps going. Yeah, you get to I, the I final wave and it carries on. Yeah, I don't know if it does have a kill screen. I didn't see anything in my research for the game. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Normally these things top out. As I, something. I like the idea that that was on one credit that fifty something hour. Yeah, I yeah, love the idea of him rocking yeah. up to an arcade 10 p.m. <laughs> yeah. We're here, boys. We've got to close. But there was also, there was a team of three blokes. I don't know whether it was before or after that. Yeah, this is 85. Of, what was that, 85? Who mm. played for five days? Mm -hmm. Five days, two hours and 26 minutes on a single credit <laughs> to attain the world record score of, uh, is that a billion? Uh, uh, a British billion? Um, <laughs> One billion and 12 points. Um, I guess you get those odd, the odd amounts because I know it's literally an even amount, but the, the odd because of the fireballs. Uh, it was featured on Yorkshire television <laughs> and was verified in the September 85 edition of uh, the UK's CMVG magazine. Their efforts raised money for a local charity. The score, uh, the score counter of the game turns over at 100 million points. But I guess the waves just keep going. I don't know if there is a, like a, a wave number that kills the machine. Uh, like 256 or something like that. Normally it's yeah. around that, isn't it? Two, I feel like I... Wave 257. 256. I yeah. love and loathe civilization sometimes. You know, they, I'm sure there's other things they could have achieved, but, you know, also at the same time, mad respect, you know, just like... We're all just pointless cosmic no, no. dust. You might as well, you might as well just do something you Can enjoy. Can you imagine but... playing a game for that long though and then it crashes or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I used to wait for my Atari or, or game to load the power goes, the power yeah. cut. Well... Yeah, there is. What are that. you guys doing tomorrow? It feels like there's a record there for the taking. <laughs> I, 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 I travel getting past wave five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we might need a bit more practice first. Um, I don't know if there's there's probably. I think does Anstream Arcade keep like high school records and stuff for people who play the browser based stuff on there? I mean, there's probably it like. A, do. I know it's a different skill because you're using the mouse and it's browser based, but um, I imagine high score challenges still exist for Star Wars the arcade machine. <laughs> Uh, so according to the Wikipedia, I think this is because of the fact that a number of skilled players could play indefinitely on the factory settings, it was decided to put the machines on a harder setting for the annual Twin Galaxies International Scoreboard slash Guinness Bookmasters tournament, where the player would have six initial shields. But as you said, Chris, no bonus shields. And thus the game would be a test of skill rather than endurance. In the 1986 tournament, David Palmer scored 31,666,614 points on that setting in about seven hours, a score which was subsequently published in the Guinness Book of World Records and remains the world record to this day, according to that wiki. So, yeah. One thing I remember spotting as a kid was the fact that there are messages hidden in the vectors. Everyone remember zooming in on the Death Star and seeing yep. May the Force be with you? Yeah. And some other things that I didn't understand, but it turns out it's the programmer's names. So you might see Hallie, Rivera, Margolin, Avalar, Vickers or Durfee, depending the on... The GameCube version is way too dark to see that. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yeah, it was often. I think they often recreated the "May the Force Be With You" on the ports, but they probably didn't bother with the the arcade teams' names, or maybe then some they recreated or replaced them with their own names. I don't know. Enticingly, but sadly, a multiplayer sequel was planned. Star Wars Two uh, was going to, uh, or was at least being planned the same year. The idea would would have been a a serial communication link between two or more cabinets, but didn't happen. So, ways to play this today. The first thing I wanted to offer up was the option to buy a Star Wars X-Wing sit-down arcade machine. And I'm on arcadedirect.co.uk. And, uh, well, delivery to London and the South, which would be relevant for us, is £350 Reasonable. each way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, the, uh, the price, though, excluding VAT, is... £15,000. Mm. Dean will have two. Yeah, bargain. <laughs> I've got room for them in my shed. <laughs> Let me just... Have you got room for them in your bank account? <laughs> no. Yeah. It, might, it might be a bit of a stretch to get it past a wife. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as much as I love it, and obviously I'm talking with great nostalgia and enthusiasm, this is not a game I would pay insane amounts of money to own. I, I wouldn't... I mean, no. I don't have it but I wouldn't even pay the 700 quid for the, for the so arcade one. So what does your 15K get you, the sit-down or the stand-up? That's the sit-down, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, then, I yeah. don't know. I, d- I didn't, look up, a, I didn't look, look up the other one, but I'm, I'm assuming considerably In good less. working condition? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is, this is definitely, this look. I mean, Tony's <laughs> interested. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so get shopping. Uh, but as I say, if we do have any eccentric, rich uh, fans of the show, don't waste your money on that. Go to our Patreon instead. <laughs> and let us buy one for Nice plug. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'd, I'd, so obviously I'm thinking of classic arcade machines. Yeah, there, there is the ones that people are always, you know, collect. Um, does this fall into that kind of bracket? Is this one of those ones where mm. people think, yeah, man, it's just because it's, it's once again licensed, you know, a fairly well-renowned arcade machine. Is it one that people want to put in their so. collection? Yes, big time. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of one of one of the uh, you know kind of ones you could show off. It's just, I, I I'm almost certain Spielberg has one in his arcade, for example. It's definitely that kind of uh, so, thing. But so talk to me about the one up arcade version. Yeah, then. if if 15k is a bit too much, you can buy a yeah, yeah. stand. Yeah, six hundred dollars, seven hundred quid. Um, this is a the, an upright machine. You can, as with all the arcade one up ones, they are what scale? They're like two thirds scale or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they comes with a riser though, so yes, you don't break it. your back playing it, but they're <laughs> still it. even with the riser, they're pretty short. Yeah, yeah, sort of slightly diddy arcade machines. Obviously they don't have CRT or vector monitors in, they have a some kind of contemporary display. Yeah, yeah. yeah a 17 inch display um, but presumably uh, running, I don't know what emulators they use i don't know if it's just mame or something they pay for to license or no, i think it's something they pay for yeah yeah it looks proprietary when i've yeah, seen right. the videos mm. and i know um you know I, I do watch the reviews of some of these arcade one-ups uh from the you know the retro scene and they seem to be reasonably well thought of overall but there are sometimes issues um, yeah like I... mixed bag just point out as well the star wars one does include empire strikes back and return of the yeah. jedi games indeed well. yes so i mean it had to be it couldn't be a vector monitor for them because obviously they they yeah. got the raster game in there as well um 
we're not covering Return of the Jedi in this, but suffice to say, if you've never seen it, listener, it's a completely different affair. Came out the same year as the one we're talking about, but is a sort of Zaxxon inspired force yeah. perspective shoot 'em up and ridiculously hard. Mm. Um, yeah, su- such a strange choice. Yeah. Yeah, um, came out around the same, yeah, because they did their Temple of Doom game as well, which I think was similar tech and similar programming team. Um, I think that one did quite well. Anyway, back to Star Wars. Um, but, you know, this 700 quid thing, it's got like marquee art on the side that reflects the original. It's got the the, the thing at the the top, you know, the light up display, Dubri. And, the marquee. Um, Mark, that's it. That's the word I'm desperately <laughs> slot searching well. for. I saw that. It was pretty good. It's yeah, coin slots. Um, so yeah, it's it would. This would be for most. I would suggest most people a more affordable option. Although, as I say, seven hundred quid isn't like it's necessarily. still expensive, isn't it? It's, it's still mm. a lot of money for most of us, and especially if you're going to add two hundred and fifty quid and some soldering to uh, <laughs> to add the uh, the improved. Uh, it's USB. It plugs in. <laughs> oh, okay. Don't even but need to solve it. Still impressive. Perfect. I mean, I know that's still ridiculous as matter, yeah. but still impressive oh, that somebody yeah. is supplying a service. Like, I'm going to the effort to light. I mean, Star Wars. I mean, I know there's some absolute tat attached to Star Wars yeah, licensing yeah. and some that kind of grand job. Well, you can, can only license amazing stuff for Star Wars. But the fact mm. that someone is going out of their way to recreate this, build the cabinet. I know there was, I yeah. think they only built 300 to start off with and whatnot, all sold out straight away. But, you know, it's still, yeah. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like it's 700 quid is a lot of money. I certainly wouldn't buy one. But I think given given how difficult the game is to emulate at home, mm-hmm. it's actually it, it's one of those things where I think you could forgive the concessions that they've had to make, you know, to get it yet. You know, the LCD panel wouldn't be, you know, for purists, it would be something mm-hmm. which I'm sure a lot of people would sniff at. Mm-hmm. But. There is no real easy way to no. play this game at home today. So that is, you know, yes, 700 quid is a lot of money, but yeah. given how the price of the the originals, I don't think it's too this, bad This enough. sounds like we're all trying to convince our partners that we need to buy one of these things for our house, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like we're trying to convince one another. <laughs> it was Liam's yeah. fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it, you know, it's a nice thing to have, obviously, especially if you're one of those people that does like, uh, YouTube channel and you want something cool yeah. in the background to light up <laughs> yes. uh, it's definitely definitely one of those um, yeah and I think most most people you know outside of the uh, kind of hardcore arcade collecting scene do not have the time or inclination to maintain vector monitors and that kind of thing and do all the, yeah. the necessary electro- electronics it's way yeah, that's the Passion thing of love that is. Uh, yeah totally it's uh, beyond space and money that's the other thing that has always put me mm. off Collecting cabs is just the I have not got the electronics wizardry required to um to take the stress out of it. Pinball so, machines, um, that's what in, you need. If, oh blimey, that's even <laughs> oh, worse. Yeah. Mechanical. Oh yeah. I, I have nothing but admiration for, and and I love watching videos of the the skill of people restoring those things, pinball and mm-hmm. arcade machines, but it is not all I all I'm good at is, is waffling. I've, into I've lost a few nights on youtube going down those rabbit holes yeah yeah for yeah. sure yeah it's 2019 that uh, machine was first launched i think yeah but, there's uh, a 40th anniversary one out there isn't there oh okay right the just game have started stocking it yes i saw that yeah 700 quid to you 
Um, but yes, that makes sense. 40th anniversary, of course. Hence this podcast. Uh, we are not affiliated with game. <laughs> if this does drive any, it sales, is available elsewhere. Yeah, do let us know, um, and we'll take our cut. Uh, yeah, Star Wars Rogue Squadron Three Rebel Strike, <clears throat> which was a game I had anyway. Uh, one of the main reasons to own Rebel Strike was the fact that it included the entire campaign of the previous game, but in co-op mode, which was uh, which was a very cool feature. But also, you could. Uh, as well as listening to the amazing disco version of the Star Wars theme, which uh, which was on heavy rotation in my house back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, uh, you could go to the arcade and yeah, play those emulated coin-ops. But I think we've already established that although it's nice that they're there and it's great that they put them in, this is not the optimal way to experience these games. No, no, absolutely no, it, it not. It was nice at the time when it first came out. Yeah, I remember being very excited about having emulated versions, uh, official emulated versions, but I think the the combination of those dingy graphics and the super twitchy controls. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, uh, but it is a very affordable option. Um, you can pick up a copy of Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike and play it on your GameCube or Wii for about 10 quid or between. And even now... 20 years after it released, that is the way I, I went and plugged in the GameCube and yeah. got the disc and plugged it in. You yeah. know, that's how, I, that's how I played it. What is it with third instalments of certain series deciding that what you really needed was on foot <laughs> sections? Uh, I remember Urban Strike doing this on the Mega Drive. Like, what do you, what do you love about the Strike games being a helicopter? Here you go. Here's yeah. a bit where you run around. In, in a, in a, and, and what do you love about Rogue, Rogue Squadron being a spaceship man? Here you go, yeah, run about you, inside a base. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, still bugs me. Um, and yes, and that then brings us to the cheapest, the most affordable option, although it sounds like Tony found it where somewhere you don't even need to put credits into your account. <laughs> but the official, the official way is the Antstream Arcade, which is a, a streaming service where you can buy... You buy credits or time, I think, to play. I've, I've like ended up with some freebies on there. Um, and it's it again, as with all streaming stuff, it's imperfect, but it's not bad. You get the general gist. You get the. General I mean, gist. I, I, I'd uh, say at least, obviously, a PC is running a, a very fast. I certainly didn't have no issues with any frame rate, or even though it running for a browser, it felt you know very smooth. Yeah. So, you know, there is that. Yeah. And um, mouse control makes it easy. Mouse control yes. makes it very. Some of those later stages having pinpoint control is. Um, yeah. Yeah, made it very easy. I can only imagine. You know, some of the more challenging stages of a yoke, but also that's I can see the, the fun in it. I haven't watched a few videos of people playing it with the yoke, it looks really fun, yeah, yeah. Right, so let's go back in time and whiz through the various official home conversions and a couple of semi or un possibly unofficial ones that are slightly different. But uh, amazingly enough, this even got a version on the Atari 2600 in 1983, which is a not very powerful video game console, um, but they actually look to do a relatively creditable effort on what is a yeah severely underpowered machine. It's not the worst version. I don't know if it was actually released in the UK though. I hunted right. high and low for Star Wars, and I could mm. get Empire Strikes Back, and there was another Jedi mm. game. I can't remember Jedi Arena. That was yeah. it. Yeah, but the proper arcade game or arcade conversion, mm. I could not find. So it might have just been... That's bizarre, I know, isn't it? That, that they wouldn't think, release it. 
that's yeah. that's your money there. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be wrong, but I certainly never saw it on sale. I don't remember it being around, and I do remember the TV adverts for because I think um the the game we're focusing on in this show, Star Wars: The Arcade Game, nineteen eighty three, was the third ever, or I think it was the third ever Atari um Star Wars video game. The first two yeah, being was. Empire Strikes Back by Parker Brothers for the Atari 2600, yeah. which is Snowspeeder versus Walkers, and Jedi Arena, which is a less weird, less successful lightsabers versus remote concept, which, um, yeah, possibly one for collectors only. But yeah, it would have, I, I mean, I guess the 2600 was very much on its last legs in the UK by 1983, but even so, Star Wars seems odd. That was the, when I put my notes down for different versions. That was one I yeah. put down. Um, I'm interested to hear. Very thick lines. Yes. So well, that, that is yeah. yeah. So that's the BTS in a nutshell. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, but uh, yeah. just in comparison, say if you say I don't know, it was one millimeter for for the um, for the uh, the, uh, the arcade okay. version. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was like four to five millimeters. Well, th- so this is it not changes the look. Almost, it's, almost it's not a vector machine it's not a 3d no, not, machine absolutely yeah. not but it was just yeah, it, yeah. it was one of those yeah. things that pointed out wow you actually just the way that you translate just simple you know yeah, yeah, yeah. line geometry and change how that presents on screen can really change the visual image of the game yeah the resolution the, i don't know what yeah. the minimum maximum resolution on the vcs was but low, low. Um, <laughs> it's kind of weird that they didn't just try to like make a different game altogether just call it star wars the arcade game the vcs version and like do something that the vcs could do but you know yeah they, they i managed. think considering the limitations of the machine they've done yeah. really well yeah yeah it's a great effort yeah uh, which takes us on to ColecoVision, uh, which is a machine i don't know i remember the name i don't know too much about it uh this was slightly closer to the arcade machine yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I've, I've got a ColecoVision. I haven't actually played mm. Star Wars on it, though. I've, I will have to uh, check that out. Very I enjoyed cool. the ColecoVision version. I thought it was good. It's definite upgrade on... It's an upgrade on both Atari 2600 and the Atari 5200 versions, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, it, it's let down by having a really ropey second phase. That Okay. The tower, the tower section is really weird. The way the way it scales the towers coming towards you is very makes it very very difficult to avoid. <laughs> yeah, my notes and, were and like, hard to hard uh, hit boxes. It seemed like the, right. the person playing it had some real hard time actually hitting anything yeah. on screen. Hmm. And the thing that all of these ports suffer from too, well, at least all the eight bit ports suffer from, is they just couldn't nail the movement of the cursor yeah, yeah. and the firing of the gun. And the ColecoVision definitely suffers from that. Yeah, they took a different approach. So the, this early, these early versions were more sprite based, like the Atari yeah, fifty two hundred yeah. and XCGS versions by Parker Brothers, and there was a Commodore sixty four version as well, which I don't think came out. Maybe it was US only, but this was a sprite based one with. A spectacular, spectacularly pathetic attempt at a Death Star explosion, even by the standards of the time, is just it just like breaks into four pieces. It's absolutely yeah. rubbish. Interestingly, there was actually a Parker Brothers ZX Spectrum version in the yeah, works, right? right. Um, and I believe it was just released. What was the uh, the Spectrum in the US? Um, um, oh blimey, what was it called? Timex. Timex, yes. Oh, I think it might knowledge. have been released over there. 
It was um, for the interface too, so it came as a ROM. Mm. It wasn't on tape. Right. And again, like you say, it was sprite-based, really. Mm. Although on the Spectrum, it's hard to tell. The difference. <laughs> it, w- it would have been rubbish, I can guarantee. It did have sound, though, possibly. Um, well, that's an improvement on what came later. <laughs> now, now, Chris, I'll explain <laughs> that when we get to it. Yeah, there was also a Tandy version in 1984, but it's this. I'm not sure if it was licensed from another game or renamed in certain territories. But it's I've got it down as Space Wreck with a without a C, uh, which is odd. Um, yeah, so the conversions in the UK, which came later, as I say, this was a mm, quite a, a bit no- later. I remember the I remember the advertising. I remember the reviews. Nineteen eighty seven to nineteen eighty nine. These came out by Domark, who set up a studio specifically for three D games called Vector Graphics. Um, except uh, Zeppelin games, who were sort of Atari eight bit specialists, did the Atari eight bit version that I had. Um, these were published though by Broderbund in the US. Is it Broderbund? Um, yeah, and the reviews for these were decent but not stellar. This was a this was a four year old arcade game based on a a, a yeah. ten year old movie, um, and on machines that mostly, apart from maybe the sixteen bits, weren't really cut out for throwing polygons around. <laughs> that said, we or uh, vectors, I should say. Uh, that that said, we had had you know success successful wireframe games by this stage, and most notably Elite, and we weren't far away from. Um, solid 3d games that ran at about one frame a second either uh, so it's i mean it's not impossible that these couldn't have worked and actually i, I would say yeah the spectrum and amstrad versions run an okay lick ish they all suffer from from stodgy they're all slow to, to various degrees yeah. um I, I i think and and that is the failing of the you know our 8-bit micros yeah. the, U, the uk based yeah. 8-bit micros is that none of them are really quick enough to make it fun particularly on the trench run i found mm. uh, i didn't find one pull that made the trench run feel exhilarating right. even even on later waves because it's just so slow yeah but the, the one that you think would be the slowest would be the amstrad cpc because it tended to be Mind you, the C64 wasn't great with anything that resembled 3D. No. But the Amstrad CPC version is the one, actually, yeah. which does feel the most pretty fast. exhilarating yeah. to play, I think. It has the right blend because it's got, the, it's got the, the, the slightly finer resolution graphics that the C64 couldn't manage, yeah. but it's got yeah, slightly faster processing, but also it's got all the colours as well, um, <laughs> wow. which the yeah. Spectrum couldn't quite manage. Well, <laughs> not, not all the colours of the arcade machine. Yeah. <laughs> Almost, uh, unless you're playing on a green yeah. screen. Very good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Spectrum version has no in-game sound. And well, that... hang on, hang on, Chris, because there's two versions. <laughs> I'm of setting it, it up yeah, for you. I saw, I saw a version with sound. Yeah, there is a version with sound. Basically, it was released, and they released released it without sound, as you say, yeah. and it was mentioned in the magazines. And then, literally a month later, when the you know, because it was a, a Christmas. Uh, Um, new versions of the game come out and it had Hmm. sounds the reason I know this for a fact is because I was working on a software where it was a a shop and a stall and Hmm. I couldn't afford Star Wars that Christmas I I bought some other games and my friend had it and he had no sound (laughs) I got it in the January 
took it home and there had Sam. So yeah, modern day yeah, gaming for, that is through and it, through. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and I think that version was also released on a compilation and probably the budget version as well. So earlier yeah. Doctors yeah. had no sounds and people who just like today, they paid paid the premium, not the <laughs> yeah. worst version. Yeah. yeah. But for me, <laughs> the disappointing thing with Star Wars was that on the Spectrum, there was a game called 3D Star Strike, which came out yes. in 1984 that played yeah. just as well as the... Well, not just as well. It was very close to the yeah. arcade game of Star Wars, yeah. and that had sound. So it had already been done a few years yeah. previously anyway. Exactly. Yeah, I remember a lot of my Spectrum and Amstrad friends playing Star Strike. Apparently, the programmers were yeah just big close fans friends. of the arcade game and yeah and um near neighbors and friends with the vector graphics team as well oh right <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah that was that was the one um and obviously yeah it didn't look quite like star wars because you know they made sure that it was yeah distinct to avoid infringing ip but when you were a kid sitting in a, a bedroom in 1984 or whatever pretending to be a star wars person that was the way to I, do it, 3D Star I, I certainly noticed from a lot of these earlier versions how much the sound chip played a part on the atmosphere beyond just the visual design as well. Did you listen to the Acorn Electron version? Ooh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Wowzers. Actually, look in my notes, all full sound, but visually okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no, it, I mean, but it's, it does show you how obviously all these things come together, but actually this, the, the limited amount of tech on some of them, you know, you've got literally the bleeps and bloops of the internal speakers on some of these yeah. machines. Um, obviously doesn't have the voice samples on some of them. Um, this step too far. So it, it, but it does change the dynamic of what you're, what you're actually playing, I guess. So yeah, Domark Vector Graphics also handled ST and Amiga versions uh, arriving uh, some time apart by the looks of it, if that's accurate. Um, but yeah, sometime around the same period. There was also an MS-DOS PC version, um, which uh, doesn't have the sampled sound. So of those three versions, like the ST was normally a bit better at handling 3D uh, wireframe graphics than the Amiga, but um, you were you were making do with the ST sound chip for that one, but the Amiga version I think was kind of the sweet spot of all the home versions. Um, and as I say, I didn't even pay for it, or not, nor did I pirate it. It was a, it was on a magazine cover disc, um, and yeah, it had resampled sound from the movie, as I say, presumably from a, a video cassette, and um, and yeah, with mouse control was pretty accurate, fairly close to the arcade machine, obviously lower resolution than vectors um but yeah I, I played this a ton this is where i learned to use the force chris i think you're a fan of this version as well so th this is star wars arcade for me the amiga version this is the game in fact when i play the arcade version it feels like i'm playing the port <laughs> of the amiga game. <laughs> because the amiga game is star wars arcade and always has been throughout my life mm. this is the only version i've really ever known and i would have sworn blind to you six weeks ago that it was RK perfect mm. it is not no. RK perfect no. and actually going back to it recently having played a little bit well a fair bit of the arcade game and a little bit of all the other ports i was actually surprised how lacking it is in some <laughs> areas particularly on the sound mm. um and it's one of those it's what i was talking about earlier where 
Although the jaunty music did great on me, <laughs> it's not there in the Amiga version, and it really That's misses true. it. But it does have a very um, farty trumpet version of the main theme on the titles. <laughs> it, it does. does. <laughs> uh, it does. It's not, yeah, not sonically not great, but but I mean visually, it despite the fact it's a quite small playfield, which is another mm, thing that the Amiga suffers from. Amiga, yeah. It's kind of condensed playfield. But I still think I still maintain, even though I I won't I will no longer fight you that that it's okay perfect. <laughs> I still think that if you're at home and you have access to emulation, this is the definitive version. Unless you go and pay seven hundred pound or twenty thousand pounds, this is the definitive way. I still think now to play the arcade game. Yeah. Uh, Ventus from our forum says I had the Amstrad CPC version and was mesmerized by the sights and sound of it. While it looks incredibly basic these days, it can't be underestimated how fun and kinetic the short but sweet gameplay was. I hadn't really thought about this game until I played TXK on the Vita and the vector heavy sights and sounds hit me in the face with a warm bucket of nostalgia. That's cool. A totally separate mm. game, but in a way there's a kind of DNA relationship there with Tempest and TXK and Atari doing Tempest and then, then the Star Wars game. My uh, knowledge of these other two, now I remember hearing about them. I still don't really know if they are, because they're not the same game exactly, but they're a game that really closely resembles the arcade game, but kind of take it off in its own direction. A couple of Japanese console games, the NEC PC-98, or computer games rather, and the X68000 in 1991. Released under the title Star Wars Attack on the Death Star, this version features sort of cutscenes and a long introductory cutscene at the beginning of the game, replicating the opening of the film. It looks like the gameplay is kind of more sophisticated. It's still vector graphics. It still fundamentally contains the same waves. Um, it looks like if I'd had this at the time, it would have blown me away. But um, yes, but I don't. I don't have the the necessary kit. To, yeah, what did it, what What was the impression of this? Other people, Chris, you sound enthused. Yeah, so I was eyeing this up. I've been eyeing this up over the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, particularly enthused by an, a superb piece, a feature in Retro Gamer from a few years ago, which, which as they do, they they looked at all the different conversions. Mm. It was the first time I'd heard of this. Yeah. And I promptly, straight away, fired up YouTube and, and had a look and thought, wow, yeah. I have to play this. And, and unfortunately, I didn't get... I have installed the... I've, I've managed to... to I've managed to find a ROM, and it's on the Mister FPGA, ah, cool. which does have a Sharp X sixty eight thousand oh, core. Brilliant. But I, I didn't quite get round to yeah. playing it. But I, as you say, Leon, you know, in my mind's eye, kind of, if I think back to what a nineteen eighty three game should look like <laughs> in my mind, that looks exactly the way it would look. It does look incredible. Sounds awesome as well. Mm. You familiar with this one, Dean? Yeah, I've played it. Um... I was a bit disappointed with it. Oh, oh you big sponsor. Yeah, Throwing a damn know. rag on our <laughs> excitement. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all right. It's, it does play a bit differently, but yeah, of, yeah. yeah the, the idea is the same. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's okay, but I, I think it'd been hyped up so much mm. over the years that when I did finally play it, I thought, no, I'd rather play the arcade game. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. I feel better. No, I feel, that's good. I feel better now. I feel like I haven't missed out as much. Um, but yeah, 
Uh, Tony, what, what were your impressions of these uh, Attack on the Death Star games, which are well, D- Dean's ruined it for me now. I have no interest in them. <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I just, they look fine. <laughs> I it's hard to to get anything from just you know watching the video, isn't it? So, so yeah, three D Star Strike we mentioned that was the the clone that I kind of knew and was kind of famously a clone of Star Wars. There's also a game on the spectrum called Dark Star, which took some influences, I think, from Star Wars. If anything, this one looks a bit more like the game we were just talking about, the sort of the surface run mm. from Attack on the Death Star. Um, but again, I haven't played it. And then a few years later, actually not that, not that, not that much later thinking about it. Um, can't remember what year it was. 87 as well, Star Glider. Uh, no, 86, 87. Um, ST first and then came over to the Amiga. This was a, yeah, a sci-fi wireframe graphics shooter that got a lot of attention at the time, featured on a Saturday morning kids TV program. So everyone got to see it um, and isn't Star Wars, but it, uh, but yeah, it was by Jez San, who obviously would go on to yeah. uh, head up Star Fox and uh, things of that ilk. Obviously Star Fox, I mean, yeah, we could do a whole show on things that the Star Wars Star Wars games influenced and even this arcade game and Star Fox certainly has a lot of the Star Wars in it, albeit with funny animals. Yeah. If you've ever seen the uh, slightly uh, more obscure than Star Wars, but still rather famous 1984 Christmas horror movie Gremlins, you'll see a Star Wars cabinet in there with the Gremlins hanging off of it. It's a good film. Check it out. There's also a uh, a 2012 non-canon web-based game called Star Wars Galactic Spy. That includes the arcade cabinet as one of the items the players can search for in Mos Eisley. Stormtroopers are seen waiting for their turn to play the game, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> one last other game to mention, just because I thought it was interesting, and we're almost certainly never going to give it its own show. Following year... Some of the same coders and technical team made another film license game for Atari that went to the arcades. This was based on a Clint Eastwood film with a experimental stealth fighter in, and the film was called Firefox. Who remembers the film and who remembers the Laserdisc game? Yes, well, I remember the film. I've seen clips of the, the yeah. game, but I've never seen it in person. They did have one on the pier. Brighton Pier, Palace Pier. Yeah. Um, and I did. I think I did play it a couple of times, but uh, I found it a bit bewildering. Um, but it's sort of fascinating to me that after one, they they had they made Star Wars, made it in vector graphics. It was a huge hit. The next year, the very next year, their next flying game license thing, they went Laserdisc. <laughs> I guess it was just the big hit at the time. But yeah, this was basically the same people doing another film with flying combat in it, but going down a completely different route. Um, I'm sure the Firefox Laserdisc machine is incredibly collectible, but also ridiculously expensive and rare now. And you won't see an arcade one-up version of it, I don't think. (laughs) If you've never seen it, um, I I would say personally, don't bother watching the film. It's not very interesting, Um, unless you're a massive Clint Eastwood fan. But if you do want to see some footage of the arcade machine, um, we're going to cover Dragon's Lair and Space Ace soon, talking about the sort of the impact that Laserdisc games could have in an arcade full of vectors and raster graphics. 
And this was one of those because you would look at it and go, how is that possible? It looks like a film. Um, but yeah. And I think it was the only laser disc game that Atari done, wasn't it? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. I can't think of any others. Yeah. I, maybe it was a big old white elephant mm. for them. I don't know. Uh, it was the top grossing Laserdisc game on the Playmeter arcade charts in July 1984, but that doesn't <laughs> say a lot, does it? <laughs> was it the only entry in yeah, those charts? exactly. It probably tanked um, after that. But no, an interesting decision. Uh, you would have thought after Star Wars they'd just make another Vector one, wouldn't you? Anyway, yeah. I guess it just seemed exciting. Sean S. Thomas from our forum says, your memory plays tricks on you as you get older. You wonder if things are indeed as you remember them or as you wanted to. Years of watching Stranger Things and Tron mean that I doubt this event was quite so amazing as I recall. But back in the mid-1980s, I remember a winter trip to Malden in Essex. There we were walking through the park by the river in the dark and surrounded by fog. In the middle of the park was this concrete block covered in neon lights. It was peak Return of the Jedi fever and I was devouring anything that so much as smelled like it was connected to Star Wars. Being church-going Christians, my family would never let me go down the seafront arcades in South End, so as we walked past this concrete building, my jaw dropped seeing inside. Lights, crazy noises, cool kids, and these strange vertical TVs, one of which had Star Wars on the side. I don't think we went in. I'm pretty sure I got dragged past, but I always remembered it. And several decades later, I managed to track down this formative arcade game. And it still held up. When I finally got to play it last year, shooting down TIE Fighters felt great. For those cool 80s arcade kids, it must have been wizardry at the time. Well said and accurate. Mm -hmm. We also have a few three-word reviews from Twitter. Follow us on social media places at Kane and Rince. Chris, could you kick us off? Robert Farley says, stay on target. Uh, Robin Hoodie, great shot, kid. Bearfish Pie says, transportive trench warfare. <laughs> Andrew Elmore, pew, pew, pew. I thought you'd enjoy that, Tony. I wanted that one. <laughs> oh, sorry. You can do <laughs> it, it as well if you want. It's, a... <laughs> <laughs> it's Hazel says, funfair arcade spectacular. Thanks, one and all. So, yes, uh, it's one of those where we've each got quite different experiences to summarise. But, yeah, say what you want to say, I guess, to wrap it up. Tony, let's start with you. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. So thanks for that, guys, because um, although it's a hmm. relatively short game um, and, you know, the later stages are a typical arcade kind of fair of frustration for me, um, I'm surprised actually coming into a you know, 40-year-old arcade game actually how much fun I had with it. Um, and I think the reasons why is down to the simplicity of the visual style. Because of the vector lines, it just, it it's really sharp and it just makes sense. And it does actually, um, it does transport you to the, the, those few mo moments certainly in the trench run in, in Star Wars. And to, that's pretty impressive <laughs> sitting down playing, although admittedly, you know, I wasn't in the arcade cab or anything like that, but just experiencing it in a, a modern day setting. Um, yeah, it was, it was really fun um, and good memories kind of just looking back through the multitude of versions. You, you, you see that slightly less now, but to see that that kind of interpretation of 
how each version of the game worked on each version of the hardware is um, was fun to kind of go back and kind of live through those memories of how those, each one of those pieces of hardware um, you know trans transponded that te- that tech at the time. So um, mm. yeah, we just actually had a really good fun time playing playing this old ass game <laughs> as it was um and so yeah and then really enjoyed the conversation listening to a lot of those fun memories so thanks well i'm glad we hooked you yeah. into it then you've had an education of sorts uh chris what about yourself oh to have been there at the time i mean that's just the overwhelming feeling i've had over the past few weeks and for the last couple of hours it, it's it's impossible to recreate what it must have felt like walking into an arcade in 1983 and seeing this beautiful, wonderful machine standing in front of you with those incredible vector graphics popping off the screen. Just to have held that yoke in that machine in front of that screen, it must have felt for those kids and adults who'd gone in and experienced that like they were Luke Skywalker in that scene, in that movie. We can't get that feeling now. The only thing you can do is play one of the probably suboptimal ways of experiencing it, unless you can make a trip to somewhere like Arcade Club. Try, close your eyes, try and transport yourself back to 1983 and try to imagine what it must have felt like not knowing what the next 40 years of video games was (laughs) going to put in front of you. Because... It must have been, Sean Thomas said in his in, in in his submission, wizardry. It must have felt like wizardry. As for the game itself, it still plays well today. I think Tony's right. I think you can fire it up on Antstream or if you've still got your GameCube hooked up and you will have 15, 20 minutes of fun. I mean, if you if you want to stick it on a list of games completed, it's perfect because you'll play through the first three stages on Wave 1 in about five minutes, and really, probably if you play through the first three or four waves, yeah. you've probably seen everything the game has to offer. Um, it's then about, like all arcade games, mastery and perfection and, and just getting better. Uh, it's not, I don't think it is the most interesting game just on its own, but we've spent two hours talking about it, and I think that Star Wars mystique that seems to follow anything Star Wars related around, certainly has kept this game part of the conversation all, for all those years, which culminates now 40 years later with us doing podcasts about it, but also companies producing machine, replica machines which are selling for almost £1,000. So there is still something there. I suspect it will remain part of the conversation, despite the fact that Yes, it's a good game, but it probably isn't a great game. But to have been there in 1983, you guys were so lucky. <laughs> we're so old now. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that. Uh, um, <laughs> yes, I was there. Uh, as I say, I don't remember the exact first time, but Star Wars Machine is one that's kind of lived with me and I will play it whenever I see it, if I still see it. Um, it even though it's probably, as I say, like 20 years since it got taken away from all Brighton arcades, it doesn't feel like that long to me because I've still got that sense memory, the whole thing, the mechanics of sitting down and the the yoke in my hand and the slamming it about and the clicking of the buttons and the feel, uh, both literal and metaphorical, of blowing the surface 
emplacements up or the tower tops or the uh, flying backwards away from the Death Star, which Luke doesn't do in the film. And um, and then inevitably, repeatedly firing the laser guns at the exploding Death Star as if you're continuing to blow it up from <laughs> from orbit, which, uh, again, completely pointless, but utterly essential. Um, it's odd now because uh, I, even thinking about recent Star Wars games like, um, say, the Lego Star Wars Skywalker saga, like the graphics in that are absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> like they look some of the textures and lighting work in that game, albeit it's a you know it's a cute Lego interpretation of Star Wars, but some of it's so close to kind of photorealistic Star Wars, it's unbelievable. You'll actually get a far more kind of closer visual representation of Star Wars in that than you would in the Atari arcade machine. And even going back twenty years to the uh, the first uh, Rogue Leader on the GameCube, I remember seeing the screenshots of that, the Factor Five game in in Edge, and just thinking, oh my god, that looks like CG come to life on the GameCube and it was it was so much fun but there is something about neon the neon vector that uh that will keep you coming back and always make you feel a certain way especially I think if you were there at the time and um yeah it is a pretty simple game it's a pretty short game in terms of content although you can play it for 54 hours in a row if you want to really master it um but yeah it's kind of a it's one of those games where I can't kind of there's no even attempt to sort of objectively appraise it. Uh, it's the Star Wars arcade game from 1983 and it's 40 years old. And even if you aren't able to play it in its original form, you should know about it. And thanks to this podcast, now you do. Let's conclude with our guest, Dean. Well, I think Chris has uh, hit the nail on the head. I do feel lucky that I got to experience it mm. when it first came out. You know, we often make a joke about our ages on the Retro Asylum, and mm. uh, me and Steve often say, because he's similar age to me, you know, we we were just lucky we caught a lot of these games when they were first released. And I'm not the biggest Star Wars nut. Obviously, at the time, Star Wars was huge, and you know, I was well into it. These days, I can give or take it, but I still go back to that game and really enjoy it. Yes, it is really short, but I would just love to jump into that sit-down version of the arcade cab right now and give it another blast. 15 grand to you? <laughs> well, I'll have to make do with it. I'll play it on the Vetrex for now. But <laughs> Oh, yeah, there is that. We didn't mention that, did we? There is like no. a homebrew homebrew version. Well, it's you, there's two ways of playing it at the moment. It's actually the arcade ROM um, on a Vec Fever, which plays oh, wow. it really well. Oh, I haven't <laughs> got one of those. Um, the other thing is a Pytrex, which, again, emulates it. It uses the arcade ROM. It doesn't play it as smooth as what it could do, mm. uh, as the Vec Fever does. But it still it looks lovely on a, a yeah, Vectrex monitor. that's great. So, yeah, that's what I'll be doing tomorrow. Absolutely mm. perfect. So, just remains for me, Leon, to thank Chris, Tony and Dean. Got any uh, things that uh, our listeners who don't know you should know about that you do and where, where, where they can find them? For me, it's Retro Asylum, a uh, podcast I do with Chris. And, uh, yeah, that's been going for quite a while, so there's plenty of uh, past episodes you can tune into. Lovely. Retro Asylum. Seek it out. Thanks also to Editor Jay. Good luck with finding some audio for this one, uh, as well as our correspondence. And of course, to you for listening next time in issue 563. 
Stranger of Paradise, Final Fantasy Origin. 